2020 has dramatically changed how technology is impacting everyday life. Whether it is video conferencing for remote work and homeschooling or getting curbside delivery, COVID-19 has ushered in a new normal and pushed us to adopt technology faster than we ever imagined. It has also increased what we expect from our smart cities. If we adopted new technology quickly, why can't our smart cities transform too? Are cities up to the tech challenge? Let's find out. Hi guys, this is your host Ashish Jain and you're listening to the Alignment podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords and connect the dots between technology and its business impact. Today's guest is more than qualified to answer these questions and shed light on what officials are doing to adopt technology that can improve cities infrastructure and the citizens life. Nicole Raimondu is the chief information officer of the town of Kerry in North Carolina. She's an award-winning technology executive who calls herself Gavrebel as she pushes the boundaries of how governments use technology. Nicole believes that the powers of 5G, IoT and AI together can transform the way cities communicate with and protect their citizens. The goal of our conversation today is to uncover the real benefits and challenges in implementing IoT and other smart city initiatives. How has COVID-19 impacted these efforts and what does it take to align all departments across the government to adopt new technologies? Welcome Nicole, happy to have you join us. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, so uh Tell us a little bit about yourself and your transition. I know you came from a private sector and you transitioned to a public sector. So love to know uh, how that has changed and how that has come to play in and being a governor. And I would love to know what that really means. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I, I spent um, a good amount of time in the private sector. I actually relocated from Boston um, to the Raleigh area about 16 years ago. Um, had the opportunity to do that with a private um, company. Loved my time there, thoroughly enjoyed it. There was um, an opportunity to do some work in the public sector, which was actually City of Raleigh at the time. And I was looking for a change and something that had, um, to me, meaningful work. Um, you work in the public sector, you do it for the love and the passion that you are helping your community. And that was something that was very um, enticing and important to me. So I spent several years at um, over in Raleigh before I transitioned to Cary as their uh, CIO. Actually, be five years in a couple of weeks. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. So what does your role entail as a CIO? What all do you take care of? That's a good question. Um, so we are very fortunate in Cary to have um, um, have IT as, is centralized. So um, I'm responsible for the strategic direction, the vision, as well as all the deployment of IT across the organization. I also, um, about a year ago, have been um, given the opportunity to have a marketing team underneath me. So that's something kind of unique to um, governments, although I think they're making that shift from that kind of public information office to more of a robust marketing team. So I have that team under me as well. well that's a very interesting uh, organization structure. And it's interesting, I'll tell you why, because when I was introducing technology at um, in enterprises, I uh, worked quite a bit on the unified communication space. And one of the things we felt was very challenging for enterprises to adopt unified communication within within their 
own organization, let alone with their customers in terms of digital transformation, was an awareness of the IT technologies that are available to employees and how they should use it. And then we paired Mm -hmm. marketing with the IT teams together and said, okay, the challenge is how does IT teams and CIOs communicate the benefits of the technologies for their employees? And if I'm not mistaken, you're kind of doing the similar thing. If you're adopting a lot of technology for the city, but how do you how does it get communicated? Involves a lot of marketing. Exactly. And if you think about the work that we do, you know, a lot of it is obviously citizen facing. So there's lots of work around social aspects as well as obviously we do all our all our live meetings and all of that. So when you really think about those together. You really need that marketing arm. You certainly don't want someone from IT writing your Facebook posts and your Twitter and your Twitter feeds. So there's a really good synergy between both. And especially as well as when we pushed out, we have, um, we use Alexa, Amazon Alexa and Google. So when you think about using those virtual assistant tools as well, you really need those marketing campaigns to help. Um, share the information with your community. So for me, it's a perfect blend. And obviously all the tools that they use are all technology tools as well. So for us, it's been amazing. And I'm loving having them as part of our team. It adds a whole different um, dynamic to the group. So it's been great. Now we're home. It's a little bit different, but the the energy that they bring is fantastic. Great. I call it alignment between IT and marketing now. So I generally speak about yeah. alignment between sales, marketing, and product teams, but this is this is another layer, right? So, which is which is great uh, having working with the CIOs, and, and honestly, I feel the CIOs make the best CMOs also these days because even in marketing, there's so much role of tech, and the traditional right. CMOs kind of struggle in adopting a lot of these automation that needs to happen. So, uh, I, I had a I was fortunate enough to work uh, work with a CMO who who evolved from a CIO role. And uh, I loved it because his his way of understanding the technology was a lot different than uh, anyone else I worked in the past. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting when you think about the alignment, you start thinking more about, you know, marketing is very much, you know, they're very used to doing, you know, storyboarding, journey mapping, really thinking about things in our case from that citizen perspective. So we do a lot of work as we develop solutions for our citizens. And we do, you know, the whole day in the life and we really walk through beginning to end, which is something that's not always on the forefront of just the technology team, right? Because they're really all about implementation. So the adding those two together really makes us be able to deliver, um, I believe, the best product to our community. That's yeah, I totally agree. So a couple of things, right? So I know I will. I would love to hear your stories on government rebel and how you have pushed the boundaries of using the technology. And uh, can you give us some example of what you have done in that space? Yeah, so um, the GovRebel moniker kind of came about, I think, a few years ago when our teams were really pushing, starting to push the boundaries. It was looking at the virtual assistants. It was looking at um, text, two-way text messaging. And it was, for us, it was all about taking the chances to do things and pushing forward. At the same time, we were experimenting with IoT and we had um, we had converted our campus into this living lab. And while even our you know own internal staff 
um, really didn't understand what that was or why we were in their minds wasting time doing this. And so I kept saying, we're just rebels. You just got to keep pushing forward. And sometimes just you got to turn that noise out in your head of what people are saying because they don't understand it. You got to bring them along. But if you don't keep moving forward, you're never going to progress. So it's all about just taking those steps and being able to take that risk, knowing that you're going to burden, you know, you might have to burden some of that on your shoulders, but knowing that you're always doing the right thing for the organization. So you just kind of got to tune it out. So we like to think about it as being a little bit rebelish. Like, who cares what people say? This is what we're going to do. We know it's the right thing. We're just going to keep pushing forward. So that's really where that came about. So we kind of keep that mindset within our team. Um, and I think it helps us be able to get over the hurdles sometimes that we hear and deliver and keep testing and just keep testing things out. Now that's amazing. And I'm sure that has helped you prepare yourself far more better than others to manage this COVID situation. You know, it's interesting um, when we talk about COVID, um, I, I always share, I said it takes a really, it takes a pandemic for people to appreciate IT. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because we were able to move. We basically came in on Friday and our um, CEO slash town manager said, you know, everybody's going to work from home starting Monday. Now, no one knew how long, right? No one knew what that looked like or how long that was going to be. So he said, work Monday and then take your, you know, your stuff with you. And because we had prepared, not necessarily for the pandemic, but we had prepared in terms of having um, strategies in place for work anywhere, which means that we've everybody has some sort of device, whether it's a laptop, our field workers have iPads or um, some type of device that they can work in the fields. Um, it means moving our applications to the cloud. So, um, and having a robust security program. So we had, we were fortunate enough that we had these things in place, which made the transition easier. But what we learned um, is that we have lots of different folks within the organization, obviously that have different roles, just like everybody else, but that need their large monitors. So we have obviously planners that are looking at, you know, big site plans that really you know, uh, their laptop's really not going to cut it. Mm. Um, so one of the things that we put in place was we actually put in place um, a drive-up service. So our buildings are closed. We don't want people inside our buildings where we would schedule the ability for one of our staff to go get, whether it's your monitors, could whatever, peripheral, it could be a headset, could be whatever you realize that now you need to work from home. And we literally would um, bring it out to you as you drove by in your car and have a delivery service. So we started to think about ways that we could use these services that um, traditionally you might see, whether it's a delivery service, right? For, you know, think about pizza or you think about retail um, and a queuing solution. And we started to look at solutions that weren't typically used in government and flip them so that we could use queuing solutions to start to deliver services. So there's services that we need to keep in place, such as um, our police department has to always deliver um, records, but we wanted to be able to do the same thing. We don't want people in our building. So we could schedule them um, for a pickup and do that. We would, we would do that. So it's really thinking about things you may see in a different industry used in a slightly different manner and how can you translate that 
to now deliver services and keep and keep the town moving forward the best that we can while we're um, while we're all working remote. Wow. So you've, you've really implemented the whole logistics and the curbside delivery of their assets uh, within the mm-hmm. government building. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it, it's, it's been great actually to see people come up with ideas and think about how we can continue to deliver services. And quite honestly, I think the way that we are delivering some of these services, I think that'll just remain in place. I don't think we'll ever go back to maybe some of the ways we were doing it before. Um, you know, having a queuing system allows us, if we were to have people in the um, buildings, right, allows us to maintain how many people there are, allows them to come in just when they want to come in, right? So it's all about that control and keeping people feeling safe. Yep. And so, um, you know, these things are readily available, but they're just things you don't typically think about using in a government setting. Makes sense. Wow. You mentioned about IoT, and um, I know you've done quite a bit of work in IoT and implementing, you know, with local partnerships and other, you know, national players. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of what you have done and how is it really helping on a day-to-day basis? Sure. So, um, like I started to mention before, we really started with our campus, and that came out of us just really trying to figure out what is what is this smart city buzzword? What does it mean? You know, um, I think it's here to stay. For me, it felt a little bit like the, the start of the internet. I kept thinking, this is not going away. Um, it's going to be around. And what are all the components of it? And fortunately for our location, we are right outside of Research Triangle Park, um, which houses lots of technology companies. We also have great universities around us and some um, great nonprofits. So we, there's a nonprofit called NC Riot, and they specifically work with startups in the IoT space. So we knew that we weren't smart enough to do this on our own, um, right? This was in the infancy. And so we gathered a bunch of experts, whether it was from some of the large corporations like Cisco, um, NC Riot, our educational partners in NC State um, and Duke and UNC, and um, really brought these companies together. And they helped us formulate sort of a plan. And that's where we came up to use the testing ground. Now, you can remember companies even like Cisco, this was new to them too. Mm-hmm. They're figuring it out. And so we came up with this plan to leverage our campus, which really represents the city just on a much smaller scale, right? It's all the same thing, just smaller scale. We've got parking, we've got all sorts of lighting, all sorts of things. And so we decide, we um, designed a contract that allowed folks to come in and test their technologies, either at no cost or very minimal cost. And then if we wanted to purchase, we had a contract vehicle to do that. Um, but the important thing about all of that was the learning that came out of it. So we've got, you know, we've got crazy things on our campus. Like we have an, we have an IOT pest control. I call them IOT rat traps because we partnered with Bayer Crop Science because they wanted to test it out, not necessarily for the town of Cary, more in um, agriculture and crops, mm-hmm. but they needed a place to learn. So we gave them a place to learn. So we've really learned about security We've really learned about the importance of open APIs, um, that we don't want siloed solutions. We want to be able to access the data. Um, We want to make sure we've got security at all layers. And um, we've learned things as 
it's matured a little bit. Every offering seems to want to be a standalone offering of a dashboard and analytics, and it's kind of all packaged up nicely, which is great for some people. That's just not great for us because we really have a platform strategy. Mm-hmm. So we really want to make sure that we can just get the data ingest the data and push it out to wherever we, whatever applications we want to, multiple applications could be in other town and really figure that out. I think that was one of the greatest learnings that we've had because we certainly, at the end of the day, don't want to manage, you know, another hundred applications. <laughs> um, that's just not sustainable for our staff. And I don't think it's sustainable for any municipality. So I think you really need to think about making sure that you understand your data, making sure that you can um, have easy access to that data, and then think about what's going to be your analytics platform, right? And then, you know, what are you going to use for a dashboard might be separate. Instead of, I mean, the last thing that we want is to have in our, you know, emergency command center or a 311 center is like a hundred different dashboards up. That just doesn't help, right? We want it all on one or as or as limited as we can get it. So I think we learned a lot. The other thing that I think is critical for folks that are um, entering this world, and especially for municipalities, because you know we are funded by our citizens. So I take it very seriously the money that we do spend, which was important for us to try to do this at um, little to no cost. The other really important thing was that our council and mayor. And, you know, our town manager all saw and experienced what we were doing on campus and the thoughtfulness of it. So we never asked for money to just, you know, put, um, we have, um, I call them the hockey pucks, the sensors that go in the ground for parking. So we never just asked for money to do something. Hmm. So we, we gained all of their trust and their buy-in. So now when we go and ask for money, they know that we've done the hard work behind it. And yes, it's taken a couple of years to do that, but it's been well worth it because now when we go for money and we um, ask to put in these solutions, they know that we've done all of our due diligence and they've seen that hard work over the years. So it, you know, that buy-in is critical. Yeah, absolutely. And that was really important for us that we really gained everyone's support by the, by the manner in which we did this. So, so Nicole, in terms of use cases, like I, I, I love your idea about creating a platform and you're collecting a lot of data that is pushed and others to use. Can you talk about a, some use cases and how is actually getting imp- implemented in in the city and how it's you know how is that how has it helped either you know functioning of the government or you know life of the citizens? Sure. Uh, so one of the use cases we have, it's I'm going to say it's about ninety percent deployed is we have put in rain gauges and water um, sensors or gauges in our basins. Now where the carriers at the top of the basin and we like everybody else experiences flooding, not to the extreme as some other municipalities, but if it's your home and you get flooded, that's, you know, that's, um, that's one of our citizens and we don't ever want to see that happen. Never mind the danger if roads get flooded, right? Mm-hmm. We know that this is a big problem universally. So we are, we've got the sensors in place. So we'll be able to um, get to a place where we'll be able to do predictive. Um, So we always talk about, 
we were once reactive, now we're proactive, and we hope to get to the predictive state. The interesting thing to me um, about this project is that um, I share all the time that when we think about our own personal lives and where we travel throughout the day, maybe not, maybe not so much these days, but um, it typically isn't within the border of a town. So there's no walls around Cary. It's not a bubble. You don't stay within it. You do travel. And we understand the, the importance of that and that working with our partners, we make the whole region stronger. So we have worked with the communities around us on the flooding um, so that we can share data with them so that we can alert them if something is flooding coming downstream to them. And this was, um, while it seems like a small effort, it's very critical if you can work with your partners around you to set data standards. And when we, when we did this and worked through the stormwater, um, we actually call it water leveling because we do have some on dams as well, is that we didn't ask anyone to buy any new solutions, right? Use whatever it is that you have, because that's not the goal. The goal is just to be able to share the data. Right. And so we're now able to do that. We have agreements in place with the state, with all the municipalities around us. And as we are, um, well, we're now in hurricane season, but if you've, if, if you've ever been to North Carolina, you also get those flash rains probably every day. There's probably one this afternoon where, you know, it can rain really hard um, really quickly, which can cause flooding. Right. Yeah, we, we get the we get here too as well in Virginia. Yeah. And so the important thing is about the ability to share the data. And we spent a long time working with our neighbors around us to come up with a use case. And, um, you know, I actually just said, we're just going to do stormwater because we needed to get started. And I think once you get that trust and you can get those kind of terms in place and everyone understands they don't have to buy a new platform, they don't have to buy new solutions, hopefully it's something that we're always doing, that, but the importance of being able to share this data is going to grow, you know, the strength in the region. And so that's really one of our goals now, as much as we want to instrument carry to be, you know, 100% IoT someday, we also see the importance of doing it with our communities because we drive through one community to another. Carrie also provides dispatch services um, for surrounding communities. You know, we've got fire and police going to different locations. So all these things are critical when you start to think about IoT. It's not, everyone thinks it's the cool new, it's the device, but it's really about the data and the ability to take an action on that data. And so when we think about flooding, if we can get alerted before, we can automatically send um, a ticket, which is what our system does, sends a ticket to our public works so they can go block off the road. The same for police. It also go to traffic if there's a signal near there so we can change the signal signaling so we don't want cars in there. So it's all about that automation that you build in. Wow. Ultimately for us can, you know, save lives. And so those are the use cases that we're really looking at. And once you kind of get one and you've got your platforms done, implementing others is going to be really easy. 
No, that's that's right. You know, a lot of time people look at tech um, as, hey, IoT is such a cool tech. But uh, I'm, I was smiling when you said, you know, it might look like a small use case. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is this is so much, you know, planning that goes behind the scene uh, that people don't sometimes appreciate in terms of what all different systems needs to get connected and how do they consume data and, and act on it. And uh, and that's where, you know, the role of IoT comes into play. I mean, IoT, the role is really to send the data and collect the data at the right point. But how to utilize it is it takes a lot of planning. So IoT is one of, you know, many technologies I'm sure you're working on. Uh, what else? I, I know you, you've you been looking into things like AI and 5G as well. Um, any any comments on on those? How, how do you see that coming into play in your planning in the future? Yeah, I mean, 5G will be interesting. I'm kind of interested to see actually how that will roll out. I don't know in carry so much um, because we're very connected, how much impact that can be. But I can see that with our surrounding communities that don't have that that same connectivity that we have um, in the ability. You know, it's funny. I think about 5G now with kids at home and how, how we can figure out how to leverage that especially for us in rural communities. So I think it's going to be interesting. Obviously, it's um, places that we could use it are during any type of emergency. We know that we've, we've got, I don't know, we'll say 10. We've got a bunch of drones um, that we that our different departments use, but you can spin those up in emergency to create you know, a network if you needed to, if networks go down. So I think there's lots of opportunities, especially where there is emergencies, um, especially nat- obviously natural disasters when tower sites and things could go down. So it'll be, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that actually plays out. AI for me is interesting because people talk about it a lot and I think it's amazing, but nobody ever talks about making sure that your data is good and clean and all that <laughs> hard work that goes up front. So it's not this kind of magic you know, button that's going to give you all these amazing answers. So I'm always a little tentative on that because I certainly don't want it to produce a result that is inaccurate. And nobody seems to really talk about that a lot. It's interesting you said that. I, I was um, was talking to uh, one of the persons who developed um, an AI-based uh, sales uh, enablement solution in terms of gauging how your sales forecast is going to be. And I asked him that question like, okay, uh, Sales forecast, I mean, if you're trying to determine based on AI, uh, garbage in is garbage out. Like, how do you make sure, um, you know, your AI is, is is giving you the right results? And and I, I didn't get a very clear answer, to be honest. Um, uh, it's, but I think there are, there are things happening in terms of the way, you know, you need to act on data. 100% agree. And, um, Right. So, and and you're doing so much planning ahead of the time, right? When you talk about, you know, how you are producing a lot of data using IoT in terms of floods and all that, mm-hmm. and and in terms of notifications and alerts, right? Can you do predictive patterns and not just predict when it is happening, but can you do predictive patterns based on, you know, other data points that are not necessarily related to uh, the water sensors, but it's related to the weather, for example. Can the weather and uh, predict something that will bring in another layer of intelligence in terms of your productive analysis? Yeah. I and mean, those are the areas where I think the AI will make sense 
and and of course you know within the data you have uh, what other ways you can you can create patterns yeah i completely agree with you it's interesting our um our you know stormwater water leveling project um we're building models um well actually we're not building the models i take that back sas <laughs> is building models for us um and we're also bringing in weather data. So the goal is to get to that point where where it is predictive. It's going to take you know some time to get there. There's been you know it's interesting. Everyone thinks sometimes things are easy, and then you have these little like gotchas. And I share that because we had put in our our water sensors in the basins in the maybe it was early spring, late winter, early spring, and then there's this thing called mid-spring summer that happens where everything blooms hmm. <laughs> and so it was thrown it actually was thrown off the gauges because we didn't think about the fact that there might be interference from you know whatever vegetation might grow and so we've had to go back and actually move some of them so it's been a great lesson learned but it's one of those simple things it's like oh we just didn't think about the fact that there's going to be things that grow yeah that's true so another you know one thing which we spoke about last time which got my attention you're doing a lot of technology work and you know you're pushing the boundaries how are you bringing cross-departmental you know what i call alignment in thinking the right way thinking in a common direction adopting all the technologies you know together how how are you doing that is that a challenge well of course it's a challenge um I will say it was a challenge. We have a very robust, um, smart and connected community committee. And that has representation from every department across the organization. And most of them are some sort of data owner. And so they meet once a month because it's all, it's a couple of things. It's all about education right? What is IoT? It's all about learning processes beginning to end. Often departments hold one piece beginning, middle, or end, and they don't know what happens in the other sides of it. And so it's walking through those use cases with them, getting them to understand how they can use automation to streamline processes from beginning to end. Understanding the data, we just went through an exercise where we have collected information on every application that we own and all of the data that's in it meaning the data standards and everything to do with this app do with the applications and it's we've put it in we use salesforce we just create a salesforce app for it but that allows complete transparency for the whole organization to see everything that we own and we've got um you know lots of fields in there that say okay this is ready to move to a platform you can see where there's maybe duplicate efforts because often in municipalities you might have a work order system for public works and then a work order type system for planning they really just workflows mm -hmm. <laughs> so um we look at things very differently and so we really think about it from the data flow and how do we collapse and create and put all of our data on platforms so I think that having this committee that meets and then they talk about where they can see 
um, uses has been amazing because it's collapsed the silos for us. Now it's taken a lot of work for everyone to want to share, um, mm -hmm. but it has collapsed those silos of this is, you know, my application like traffic, right? This is my application in traffic. I don't want anybody to touch it or see it, but now they understand the benefit that they also gain by opening up that information and then receiving information from other systems as well. So it's a lot of like, you got to show also and build, um, and build a culture of sharing and a culture that understands the benefit of the collective good as opposed to their own individual silos. And that takes a lot of work. That does. Yeah, I always, uh, like I say, my podcast is about alignment and hey, this alignment is a, a problem, not just, you know, between two teams, it's across the board uh, in every company, whether public or private, um, and getting everyone on the same page and, and share the culture of sharing and the culture of alignment is, is critical. So, Nicole, I know we're coming towards an end of the session here, and I, I, I always ask this. If you have to tell other municipalities and other cities who are just getting started on this paradigm of, of smart cities, what would you say they should do to plan properly? I think you said the key word, plan. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, there's, there's several things, right? You can leverage your partners that are around you. You know, don't be afraid to ask the questions of those that, you know, don't be afraid to say, I'm not really sure. There's lots of people around you, whether it's universities, right, that are testing things, whether it's the big companies that are still learning and going through it. The other thing is to think about things, to think about your town, city, county, whatever it may be, as one big entity and solve your, try to look at problems that way so that you're not putting in siloed solutions, so that you're not just putting in parking or lighting or environmental censoring. You need to walk through those use cases of how important all of that data is connected and make sure that you're buying platforms and solutions that are easily able to share that data because the benefit is the ability to aggregate and share data across the town and then, you know, and then move out, right? Across the, the county, across the state. And that's where you're going to get the big benefits that everybody wants to see. But you've got to be able to have open APIs and um, solutions that you can share that data. Awesome. Great advice, Nicole. And I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. This was great. I appreciate it. Great information, Nicole. Thanks for describing how the town of Kerry and the neighboring areas are benefiting by not only flipping the approach to service delivery, but recognizing how sharing IoT data can reduce complexity. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode and don't forget to subscribe to the Alignment Podcast on your favorite platform. It's A-L-Y-N-M-E-N-T. Also share your thoughts on how the podcast is connecting the dots for you. If you have ideas and questions, feel free to send them to my email ashish.jane at kairospulse.com or drop me a note on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay safe and get aligned.